Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's August 15th, 2018, as the Chicago White Sox won another road series, this time winning two out of three against the Detroit Tigers. So that's back-to-back road series wins for the White Sox sandwiched in between of course was their one for five uh one for six I should say they were one and five in their six game homestand last week but again that was against the Yankees and the Indians the White Sox in their last two road series have swept Tampa and won two out of three against Detroit as they are now seven and seven in the month of August halfway done with the month so there's still an opportunity that they could have a 500 month in the 2018 season on this episode, we will recap the Tiger series and look ahead to the Royals series this upcoming weekend. We'll also chime in on the mega series that will be happening this weekend as the Houston Astros lead has dwindled down to a half, one and a half games ahead of the Oakland A's as the Astros will be visiting Oakland this weekend. There are some other big series that are happening this weekend around Major League Baseball that have big postseason implications. We'll take a look at that later in the show as maybe we'll ponder if the athletics provide some hope for White Sox fans who want a quicker turnaround in this rebuild. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The White Sox, as of late, seem more comfortable playing away from home. Yes, which is kind of unfortunate when it comes to pleasing the crowd. But, you know, as you mentioned, the homestand was a very tough assignment with the Yankees and Indians. So, um, you know, no real surprise there. And it's nice to see them take care of the Tigers because, you know, going uh, one and nine against them the first 10 games is 
kind of unacceptable if, you know, stakes actually matter during a season like this. It was just one of those weird things. There's always weird things that happen in a season that justify logic, right? And it seems like this is it for the White Sox. No matter how bad that this team is, I wasn't expecting the Tigers team to be better than the White Sox in 2018. And a big reason of that is that the Tigers won nine out of the first 10 games against the White Sox. Now, the White Sox have won the last two, of course, and they're now three and nine uh, against Detroit, but they're going to have to sweep the remaining six games to come even with the Tigers. It it could be really lopsided uh, before this season is done between the Tigers and White Sox series, and we'll look back at 2018 and be like, why do the White Sox struggle so much against Detroit? Yeah, but, you know, I think just narrowing the gap a little bit, yeah, I guess it depends on, you know, your priorities or whatnot when it comes to the standings. I think for the White Sox, given that they should be a team on a gradual rise, I think, this year and the next, you know, kind of still putting the pieces together, but trying to find respectability and finding it for stretches. Uh, you know, I think it's kind of important for the morale of the team and also when the American League Central is so bad uh, to finish ahead of the t- Tigers and Royals, both of which are just starting their teardown. So, um, you know, I would like to see that happen. And I think even if they say, you know, win six games this year against Detroit, that might be enough to make up for the difference in standings elsewhere, the difference in performance elsewhere, to where I still think they'll end up winning more games uh, than the Tigers. But, you know, should they go, you know, 4-15 and 15 or, or what have you, uh, <laughs> I think that might be too much ground to make up, you know, that much head-to-head, uh, um, you know, that, that big of a head-to-head hole, you know, is often hard to make up when you're, you're talking about two bad teams. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a big one when you when you only win four out of nineteen games against an opponent. It's it's incredibly difficult to to pass them up in the standings. But like I said, I mean, there's always weird things like the Baltimore Orioles are playing the New York Yankees real tough this year. I think that series matchup is around five hundred, where both teams have won the same amount of games. Uh, just bizarre bizarre things happen in the course of the season, and I chalked this up as far as the the White Sox struggles against the Tigers is one of those bizarre things many bizarre things that have happened in 2018 but in this series each game it seemed to follow this pattern that the white Sox would take a early lead and then give up three runs yeah (laughs) and uh, on monday we talked about carlos Rodon a lot and today carlos Rodon made a start and jim all he did was toss eight innings again and he's appearing to get stronger with each and every start what did you like about his performance from this afternoon? Well, his slider was really awesome. Uh, and, you know, part of it's facing an overwhelmed lineup. Like, you know, he made Victor Reyes, who's a real five pick, look silly. But, you know, he should make a real five pick look silly. And it's fun to see, uh, you know, after watching the White Sox get beat up for most of the season, it's nice to see the talent disparity uh, favor the White Sox for one. So the slider was really good. Got some really silly swings from righties. Uh, I also like the way he came back from that rough inning. You know, it could have been, uh, you know, missing that straight call, um, you know, set things in motion, gave up three runs, gave up the lead. Could have been a start where, you know, the the Tigers keep piling it on, the White Sox lose like, you know, nine to seven or something like that. And, you know, Rodon, you know, just to start you right off is, you know, some regression and he'll make it up next time. But, you know, he came back and he was really efficient, throwing strikes with all his pitches, um, only walked one batter, only hit one batter. Um, you know, he's, he's not the strikeout monster that his stuff suggests he can be. But, uh, you know, for, you know, however it's happening, whether it's, you know, um, 
you know, learning some pitchability and learning some efficiency or just kind of uh, getting a string of opponents that's playing into his favor for the time being. He is, you know, more efficient and he's giving the White Sox innings, which they can use both because other starters aren't necessarily delivering innings and also that the bullpen is so bad that even getting three outs can be a challenge at times. Yeah, it was a uh, it got interesting in the ninth inning. Yeah. As the uh, the Tigers had an opportunity to tie the game. Uh, they did score two runs to make it six to five, and that was the final score. But when Victor Martinez was coming up to the plate with runners on first and second, first and third, I should say, uh, I, I thought he was going to tie the game, <laughs> just because that's Victor Martinez yeah. and and his uh, ownage of the White Sox throughout his career. So Rodon had a really good start. Lucas Chilito, I think for him, had a good start. There was an opportunity where it could have been a bad start for him. Obviously, the first inning was real rough for him. He gets a 3 to nothing lead, and then he gives it up right away. In the sixth inning, he loads the bases with no outs, but somehow gets out of that jam without allowing a run. Could that type of inning be a confidence boost for Giolito where he can believe in himself that he can move forward and get out of these jams and and hopefully be an example that he could use to get to overcome the struggles that he's having in the first inning. Yeah, I, I you know, not to make too much of a, you know, I guess make a, you know, predetermined a narrative before we even see it play out. You know, it could be has a terrible start, um, you know, gives up five runs in inning and, you know, we're not talking about it anymore. But, you know, to continue the Gavin Floyd comparisons we've we've given many times over the years or over the last two years, watching Giolito kind of put his game together. It's It was kind of a Gavin Floyd game. One, because he had three pitches working. He had a lot of life in his two-seamer. had the good curveball, uh, which he hasn't had much of. And the changeup was all right, too. So, you know, he had three-pitch offering. Um, and, and so that was working for him. And then, you know, that that, uh, that escape reminded me of the big Gavin Floyd game. Gavin Floyd's breakout moment against the Yankees. And I always remember it. I, never, I didn't see it live, but I was, uh, I was going to the Yankee series that – uh, the next day. And so I was driving to Queens and we're kind of circling around looking for a parking spot. And it was just a 13 pitch at bat with Jason Giambi. And it was just foul after foul bases were loaded runners in motion, full count. I think it must, must've been five or six full count pitches strikes him out. And that was the, uh, game where on, on Southside Sox, the cheat said that Gavin Floyd has big hairy balls and it kind of stuck <laughs> with him, yeah. but it was just that kind of signature moment. Like, okay, you know, all these mental concerns we've had, all these, um, you know, Things where we don't know if you know whether it's mental or physical, whether you know he doesn't have the uh, confidence as mechanics to maintain them when stress is high, they, you know that kind of thing. Um, you know, however you pin it, mental, physical, it all came together and proved that he could erase his own mistakes. So yeah, I, I think it's the kind of thing where you know should he continue it, maybe we'll look back on it the way we did with that Floyd uh, game and say like, yep, he's he can be reliable. Maybe not you know top of the rotation, but reliable. But I would like to see with you know, with uh, Giolito that he just kind of succeeds the same way twice because that's I think the hardest read is that this time his curveball was really good and you know it's nice to see that he can find that good curveball, but when he needs a different method of success every time, and it takes him, you know, an inning or two to figure it out. You know, it still seems to lead those early holes. Offensively, the White Sox have been putting up runs the last four games. They've scored 24 runs in the last four games. Uh, so they continue that six runs a game piece. Well, make watching this team a lot more enjoyable. Uh, Jose Abreu continues to stay hot. So after disappearing for six weeks, uh, looks like that he's on a six-week hot streak, or it will be another six-week hot hot streak, Jim. And 
everything will balance out as far as his final numbers in the year. Jose Abreu has 21 home runs and 73 RBIs. There are 42 games left in 2018. So, Jim, will Abreu get to 30 homers and 100 RBIs? I'm going to say no. Hmm. I think he can get to 30 homers. I'm more confident in the 30 homers than the 100 RBIs. Afraid that not enough guys get on base in front of him to drive it? <laughs> yeah, just, you know, that and timing. You know, just the way, you know, the big hits kind of work out. Because I think I'm, you know, trying to do the math in my head. Do you say 27 over 43? Is it? Yeah. So that's like a... 27 over 42. There's 42 games left. Yeah. So that's like a 120 RBI pace or something like that. 115 off the top of my head. So, you know, it's a tough thing to maintain for a whole season when you're counting on it. So I'll, I'll, I'll I guess, side with the the math, you know, the blackjack math. And you know, if I'm wrong, happy to be so. <laughs> How do you feel about Nicky Delmonico leading off against right-handed starters? It doesn't bother me too much. I mean, he gives the White Sox good at bats. If you want to see him see pitches and allow other people to see pitches and not really worry about, you know, what Mankato was going through, which is, you know, kind of setting yourself up in bad counts and, and striking out looking, then, you know, it's all right. Not great, not optimal, but not bad. I almost want to see Omar Nevaez bat lead off. Yeah, I, it would be fun. Like, you know, we've talked about it before with Renteria that... Uh, uh, and Ventura before him, especially just that you don't have the whimsy, um, you know, what the hell, bat him lead off. <laughs> you, know, just mm-hmm. like, you know, if nothing else, he, he's given us good at bats. He's single. And I think that's what he's kind of doing with Delmonico. Like he's not really, you know, he's not producing reliably yet, but he does see the ball. So let's use that to your advantage, put him in the top of the order. And I think, you know, he runs a little bit better than Narvaez. I think just with Narvaez, it's just that he's too much of a base clogger to feel great about it. And given the way he's putting the bat on the ball and his uh, you know, ability to use the whole field and hit for more power this year, it seems like you know he might be better off uh, with runners on than with the bases empty where he just you know has people running by him. So Matt Davidson had a good day today. He had his 17th home run of the season. But Jim, since July 1st, Davidson only has three home runs, as many as he hit on opening day. Now, he'll be going up against the Royals this weekend, so maybe Davidson will get hot. But if Davidson doesn't get to like 25 home runs on how he started this season, I'm going to be disappointed. Jim, is is Davidson hitting well enough for you to still think he's going to be a given on the White Sox 2019-25 man roster? I don't think so. Um, and I can see, you know, Daniel Palka, if he somehow, you know, one way or another, whether it's, you know, because he's making more contact or it's just like too strong to deny and kind of is like a, you know, not quite Joey Gallo when it comes to, uh, you know, the strikeouts and, and the lack of batting average, but just a low average slugger, not just a low average semi-power guy like Davidson, but is actually, you know, a real threat to hit the ball out uh, on a reliable basis and not run so hot and cold. I could see him you know, kind of rising to the top, especially if they need a lefty bat more than a righty. And, you know, if they still like, uh, you know, still like Delmonico by the end of the year, it's really a three-way battle for one roster position, at least when it comes to serious plate appearances. Yeah, that's what I've been thinking about today. Because just like, I'm looking ahead to 2019, which if White Sox fans are like me, (laughs) it's just because you want to inch closer to the light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, looking at this lineup, I'm having a tough time imagining next year where we do see Nicky Dobonico, Matt Davidson, and Daniel Polka all in the same lineup because I just find it to be redundant. Like, I don't think Nicky Dobonico is really good at first base. He could fake it, 
for a game or two, but I, I don't think he has the necessary defensive skills to be good at that position. I'm more confident that Matt Davidson can play a better first base than Nicky DeMonico. We haven't seen Daniel Polka play first base. Now he did in the minor leagues, but we still haven't seen him play first base in the major leagues. So defensively, I would say Matt Davidson would get the leg up over Nicky DeMonico and Daniel Polka. But if the White Sox are looking for someone to mash, I, I'm more confident that they're going to find that with Daniel Polka because if Matt Davidson is just going to disappear again for months, and especially when it's summer and it's warm and the ball is flying out of the ballpark, except Matt Davidson is not really participating in any of that. And Nicky Delmonico, I don't know what happened to his power stroke. We're just not seeing it. Uh, I, I feel like the decision next year, like I wouldn't be surprised if Nicky Monaco doesn't make the 2019 White Sox roster, even though the roster still might not be very good. And that decision could come down to Matt Davidson and Daniel Polka, but I'd feel a lot more confident about Matt Davidson moving forward, Jim, if he could like catch on fire and have a good, strong finish to the rest of 2018 because if he doesn't do that i wonder if rick Hahn actually thinks about dfaing or uh not offering or not tendering a contract to davidson because uh, i believe he hits arbitration doesn't he oh uh, i think might be one year short of that but um i'll have to check but still okay yeah but with uh delmonico you know he does have options left so it could be a case where you know if they want to give davidson one more shot at um, you know, seeing what he has left, um, you know, and, and kind of get an idea whether the Davidson the first month or so is the guy who sticks around or the cold spell is here to stay. You know, maybe they, uh, you know, if they want Eloy up and Avi's still around and they still have the kind of corner glut that we're talking about, then maybe, you know, Delmonico goes down or Palka goes down, you know, somebody with options. So I could see that being the case. Um, yep, he's only, uh, yeah, he's not ARB eligible until 2020, so... Good Lord, he has been with the White Sox organization forever, it seems. Yeah, but uh, so I can see, you know, uh, Davidson doesn't have options left, but Delmonico and Polka do. So, you know, if they needed to buy time, I imagine one of them could be sent down. But, uh, you know, if they're looking to kind of move and if uh, Davidson's flat for the rest of the season and, uh, you know, he's kind of more of a, you know, we've seen it before in the years, like, say, a Josh Fields type where it's just strikeouts and homers and, um, you know, the walks kind of dry up, then I can see them moving on. Oh, and I should say that with, uh, you know, in case anybody was uh, kind of frustrated that uh, I did I did the math and it's not 115 RBI pace for a break, it's more like 104. So uh, when it comes to that 100 RBI, I'll still say that I'll end up around like 96. Oh, man, that'd be that'd be teasing, Jim. That'd yep. be teasing. No, it's just something to move forward, because for those that have been listening to this podcast all season long, Jim and I have touched on on how the 40-man roster is a mess. And it's something that Rickon's going to have to do some cleaning, obviously, in the offseason. You know, cut ties to, I hate to say this about players, but dead weight. <laughs> players that you just don't think are going to be major league contributors for you next year. And this is kind of where there's some fat that the White Sox can trim off. But Jim, if you mentioned that Davidson still hasn't hit arbitration, okay, so he's going to make $575,000 next year, so he's really cheap. Delmonico's got options left, so if he doesn't have a good spring training, he could just start the year in Charlotte. I mean, Trace Thompson's getting so much run right now in Charlotte, which is shocking. And Daniel Polka's got options. Well, 
I, I guess I'm looking at it the wrong way. I'm looking at it. Who could be effective? I think Rick Hahn and the White Sox could look at it and be like, well, these three are really cheap. <laughs> you yeah. Know? You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's you know, value's value, even if it's kind of redundant. And if you have room in Charlotte and Chicago and you're not looking for wins right away, you're not looking to optimize the roster immediately and more having a long-term view of which player could maybe contribute in 2020 and, and beyond, then, yeah, maybe you take that time to you know, kind of grin and bear the restrictions on the 40-man and the extra DH types they have running around and hopefully get one winner out of those three. Yeah. I I guess now looking at it, I wouldn't be surprised if all three made the roster next year because that's three guys in the 25-man roster and you're only spending $1.6 million on them. Especially if uh, you know, Eloy Jimenez does not come up in September. Yes. There's three guys they have to evaluate before they can open up a corner spot. Oh, disappointing. Anyways, let's continue on the disappointment. Uh, this weekend series, the Kansas City Royals come back into town to face the Chicago White Sox for a three-game series. The Royals are 36-83. and 83. They are a half game back as we are streaming this show of the Baltimore Orioles for the first pick. It is pretty much a dead heat race between the Orioles and Royals to see who will have the number one pick in the 2019 Major League Baseball draft. Your pitching problems for this series as the White Sox will have Thursday off is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. Jacob Junis will be facing James Shields Friday night at 7.10 p.m. Central Time. On Saturday, 6.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Brad Keller against Dylan Covey. And on Sunday, it is 1.10 p.m. Central Time start. It is Heath Fillmeyer against Ronaldo Lopez. And Jim, tomorrow night, Michael Kopech is the projected starter for the Charlotte Knights. Now, the White Sox are making one roster move as after the Tigers game this afternoon, Ryan Lamar, despite having him hit his first career home run on Tuesday, is being demoted to Charlotte. I assume it's for Lurie Garcia coming back off the disabled list as he was in full uniform that we saw catching it on the television broadcast. Any chance that Han pulls the trigger and promotes Michael Kopech as well to fill in for Dylan Covey on Saturday night? It doesn't seem like it. And I think, you know, if they were, then Kopech wouldn't be announced because uh, you know, minor league teams are no strangers to you know using TB, TBA, TBD for the rotation spots, even when it's you know, largely the case. It's just not that important, I think, for uh, teams and information in, in, you know, maybe in Vegas and such to have the, you know, rotations that established. So, and nobody pays that close attention. So really they only name starters for one, two, three days out, but Kopech's been named. So, you know, if they're looking to pull that string, I think, you know, you maybe see a hint elsewhere. So I'm not counting on that. If Dylan Covey makes this start on Saturday and struggles again, is that the final straw for him starting games in 2018. It would seem like it only because, you know, I hate to say it never with, you know, given how thin the roster is and maybe one injury puts him right back in. But I think when it comes to the way the White Sox would plan it, it does remind me of the Carson Fulmer situation in that when Fulmer was looking like he'd hit a dead end as a starter, um, you know, maybe they could have pulled the plug one start earlier, but uh, they gave him one more start. They, they um, prefaced it by... Referring it to kind of open-ended, you know, you know, Rick Renner, he's saying you need to talk to Don Cooper and didn't really promise anything beyond that one start. And I think I kind of get the similar signs. So maybe, um, you know, maybe it's one more start 
for Kovi. And then if he struggles and Kopech, you know, keeps looking, you know, keeps repeating the same line of seven innings and, you know, zero to two runs and eight to 10 strikeouts, uh, then it seems like, you know, there's nothing else to do. I mean, you have a guy who's not competing in the majors. You have a guy who's bored in Charlotte and it just seems uh, kind of pointless, especially since, you know, Kopech's not against any innings limit. Um to keep him down any any longer. It just seems like it's against development and against what Sox usually do, even taking into account service time and, you know, getting the extra year and whatnot. Yeah, that start for Kopech, if he does make it on Thursday, will be against Louisville. It will be in Charlotte. And I am sure Kopech will continue the same strategy of throwing his fastball 85 to 90% of the time and mixing in curveballs and changeups because watching his last three starts, Jim, the focus for him is get as many people out as possible and get deep into games and throwing the secondary pitches is not all that important at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, in, in some cases, you know, given that he was struggling to throw strikes, given that he wasn't getting ahead and attacking, you know, it's good to see him attacking with what he's got. Um, you know, so I think in his case, and I think Keith Laws made this case that he, it seems like, you know, he might be somebody who is just way too talented for AAA. Um, and, and, you know, pitchers, I think, especially pitchers who haven't been to the big leagues, who haven't been exposed to big league hitting and been told what they're doing wrong by big league hitters, um, you know, they just can't force themselves to struggle. <laughs> they kind of have to have other people make them do it. And he says it could take, you know, 30 or 40 starts for Kopech to uh, put his game together at the big league level, and he may as well get the shot to do it. So uh, I'm kind of along the lines of that, just that, you know, when he throws as hard as he does and has the great secondary pitch, you know, if you want him to improve his changeup, it's going to take some big league lumps, like the way Carlos Rodon did. Um, you know that. Yeah, and even then, Rodon never really uh, struggled meaningfully. I mean, he had short starts. He had to work on getting deeper in the games, but he never, you know, took a beating that made uh, a return to Charlotte any kind of real speculation. Ronaldo Lopez has learned this year: you just can't survive under 97 mile per hour fastball. You need to learn how to throw your secondary pitches and. I'm sure if you throw Lopez back down in AAA, he'll be having the same type of starts that Michael Kopech is having because hitters in the International League can't touch 97. Yeah, so. I think Kopech, his, his slider is any is way better than any of Lopez's secondary pitches. So there's that. Sure, but Kopech yeah. doesn't have to throw it right now. Yep, no, I agree there. Well, before we look at the Major League Baseball postseason race, as it's going to be a big weekend... Uh, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Football is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, plan a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make it to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I use SeatGeek 
all the time to buy tickets to go to White Sox games. I used SeatGeek last weekend to score four great seats for the Jim Tomey bobblehead day on that Saturday game against the Cleveland Indians. I used SeatGeek again to get tickets when the Angels come into town in September because SeatGeek, again, easy to find great seats. And I also find it to be the best place to get great deals on tickets, especially for sporting events. And best of all, Sox Machine listeners get $20 off their SeatGeek purchase by using our promo code Sox Machine. So download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone, enter promo code Sox Machine, that's promo code Sox machine for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And now looking ahead to the Major League Baseball weekend here as the races have really, really started to heat up, especially in the American League West gym. It was a pivotal three-game series for the Seattle Mariners and Oakland A's in Oakland. Seattle won the third game in the 13th inning as D. Gordon hit a two-run homer, but the A's won two out of three. This is coming off when the Mariners won a series in Houston. Uh, Didn't they sweep Houston? Yes. They won at least three out of four, so they swept. Okay, they did sweep Houston, so they won all four games in Houston, And now what the situation is, Houston's playing at the moment. So as we are streaming this, the Oakland A's are a game and a half behind Houston in the division. The Seattle Mariners are four games back of Houston. Which of these three teams, Jim, do you think wins the West and who ends up being the wild card? I still like Houston um, just because of the talent and, you know, I imagine Oakland, you know, winning at the clip they're winning. You know, can't continue. And I think that they, you know, once they get Altuve back, um, and, you know, I think that'll help. Um, I think they've been missing Altuve quite a bit. But, you know, given that this has all kind of started or snowballed on them um, after acquiring uh, Roberto Zuna, <laughs> I don't necessarily feel sorry for him, uh, given just how that was handled and such. So it seems like, you know, if they were to kind of slide into the wild card and Oakland overtake them, I'm, I'm rooting for Oakland, even though I think Houston's going to do it, even though Houston was my preseason pick to uh, go to the World Series. So, yeah, but it's been... Uh, it's been it's been rough, and I think uh, yeah, it just depends. I'm looking at their injury list right now. Uh, Tuve, he's uh, trying to come back. You have McCullers, you have Springer, yeah. So they have some talent reserved and stored up on the dis- disabled list that if it can come back, uh, should be able to, uh, I guess, tilt the scales back in the favor of Houston. So I think I'll go with the Astros still. Okay, so you have the Astros winning the division. Who gets the wild card then? Still think Oakland. Or I, I, I should say Oakland. I don't know if I can't remember because I didn't have faith in either team we talked about before, uh, given that there are weird histories and such. But the way Oakland is playing, uh, it's a fun brand of ball. I wonder if Houston's just going to run out of gas like the 2006 White Sox. Yeah. Where I know that you mentioned that they have a lot of talent in reserve from the DL, but how rusty are those guys going to be? I mean, they're going to need them right away. As soon as Springer and Atuve are healthy to go, They got to help. They got to start winning some games because Houston is traveling to Oakland this weekend, which is a mega series. And if the A's win that series, man, that really turns up the heat for the Houston Astros. 
uh, to try to defend their world title. And, you know, we, we talk about this World Series Hanover. We saw it at the beginning of the year for the Chicago Cubs. It really took them a long time to get going last year, but they got hot in the second half. The Astros were really hot in the first half, and now they're starting to slow down. And I just wonder if they're coasting at this moment. Uh, there's a part of me, Jim, that believes that Oakland and Seattle will catch Houston and pass them in the standings where we would see the defending world champions not make the post. Uh, I suppose it's possible. Houston is beating Colorado right now, seven to one. So they can uh, get a multiple game lead back on Oakland. But uh, yeah, I just, I just don't trust Seattle. I don't think when it comes to, um, you know, how thin they are farm wise, it doesn't seem like, you know, they got Cano back. So that helps. But when it comes to the talent and reserve and September boost, I don't see them getting that. So, uh, you know, Jerry Depoto's tried like hell with all the movies he's made, but uh, given their, um, you know, the way they haven't been able to put it together, given just how lucky the team has been, and I should take a look at their run differential, see if they're still running that crazy uh, run differential. Um, but yeah, just uh, when it comes to who I trust more, I think I trust Oakland more. Yeah, I'm gonna say Oakland. Yeah, the, yeah. Seattle's been out, Seattle's been outscored by uh, uh, 22 runs. Okay, I think Oakland's gonna win the West. And I think Houston will still sneak in as the wild card, which sets up a one-game playoff between the Yankees and Astros and chaos because the winner of that game will have to play the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. I'm rooting for chaos at this moment, which means that Cleveland or Oakland, if my predictions are correct, one of those teams is going to the American League Championship Series. That would, that would be fascinating if Seattle beat Houston just because I'm looking at run differentials. Uh, Seattle's been outscored 531 to 509. Houston's almost outscored their opponents by 200 oh runs. Oh, my gosh. That mathematically just doesn't make sense. Looking yeah. at the National League, the two big series, Brewers against Cardinals. The Brewers just split a two-game series against the Chicago Cubs. The Cardinals have been red hot. <laughs> <laughs> They're one and a half games back of the Brewers. Man, they fire Mike Matheny and they catch on fire. The other series is the Rockies at Braves. Now, the National League has eight teams within six games of the wildcard spots. It's a stretch maybe to say the Washington Nationals and the San Francisco Giants are still in this race as both teams are hovering around 500, but it is eight teams within six uh, games of the wildcard spots. Right now, your playoff teams in the National League would be the Cubs, the number one seed, Braves, two, Diamondbacks three, and then the one game playoff would be between <clears throat> the Milwaukee Brewers and the Philadelphia Phillies. Out of these five teams, Jim, how many of them do you think will make the postseason? Looking at it right now, I think I can see Milwaukee slipping. But Atlanta, I'm curious because Acuna just left the game uh, today. I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah, he got hit by a pitch uh, to start the game. Yeah, he got drilled to the very first pitch of the game, which seemed awfully suspicious given that he'd homered. He'd let off with uh, three straight leadoff well, homers. That, I, I haven't seen it yet, but the way that you're describing it against a Miami Marlins team, I think there's no doubt that had to be intentional. Yeah, and and, and uh, Urano was thrown out, and uh, uh, Acuna tried staying in the game but left it, so... That could be a big loss. So I'm keeping an eye on that, and I guess I'll hinge on because I think, you know, given how... Well, he's playing. I think that's that's one you know move that can change the complexion. Just looking at one player, but for the time being, I, I still like the Cardinals. Yeah, I'm sticking with them as uh, my wild card pick and my pick to get to the World Series. And this is what I was hoping for when they fired Matheny. That uh, that 
words weren't doing enough or just kind of the murmurs weren't doing enough to uh, express just how much uh, Matheny was holding the team back. So that's my hope. I'm confident the Braves can still make the postseason. I don't know if they could win the National League East. I, I like Philadelphia to win the division, and I like Atlanta to be one of the wildcard teams. Where I, I do not believe in the Milwaukee Brewers, and they got really bad news today. Jimmy Nelson is more likely than not not coming back this season. So the Brewers, again, are going to need a starting pitcher to help them out uh, if they're going to still be in this race and outlast the Cardinals and the Rockies. I'm wondering, do the Dodgers have another run in them? They had, they just suffered a big blow. Kenley Jensen uh, is dealing with a heart issue at this moment. He's out for the next month. They're taking starting pitchers now, and they're throwing him the bullpen to see if anyone can help him close out games, and it's just not working for them. This has just been a bizarre year in the National League, but my guess is is that I'm confident the Cubs, Braves, and Phillies will make the postseason. So I'm going to say three out of five. And, man, I don't know who replaces the Diamondbacks and the Brewers, but I, those are the two teams I'm not confident are going to be able to outlast everybody else. I'm not confident in any of the NLS teams, you know, uh, to a team. And it uh, looks like, you know, they, they you know, lost Jensen. looks like Stripling went on the DL because of a soft bed. <laughs> I guess he had some kind of back <laughs> issue from from sleeping. Yeah, um, so, wow. you know, thing, weird things happen to them. And, you know, they have Machado. They, you know, they did add him and a lot of talent. But it's also just kind of, um, it seems like a mishmash of talented people. And, and you don't want to, you know, I guess you know, you're on the risk of saying like, you know, uh, chemistry and whatnot. And I don't really know what the Dodgers chemistry is, but just it's a roster that is kind of being slapped together as uh, they get guys from the DL, they move guys to the DL, they have players uh, shifting around out of positions and such. And so I don't know if it can last all the way through to the end of the season in a, in a team that's winning enough to reach the postseason. How crazy is it that as we speak, Jim, the Nationals and Dodgers would not be in the postseason. Yeah, the, the Nationals are a huge disappointment because, you know, they don't even have, like, postseason fatigue on their side or the, um, you know, the, the run that the Dodgers had. They they, they bulked up and, um, you know, it, really the Phillies... I mean, Phillies were gunning for it. The Braves didn't invest as much as they could have in the mm-hmm. uh, in the winter. They kind of slow-played it and... and uh, waited to see what they had immediately, but when yeah you know, they called up Acuna pretty aggressively and uh, didn't really drag their feet on their young guys, so you know that came together sooner than um, yeah they thought, and they've they've added since. So they have some um, yeah they had some challengers, but you know a good April or good May could have just uh, demoralized the rest of the division, and it, they clearly didn't. And it doesn't seem like uh, they just have right now, especially the bullpen, uh, the leads they're blowing and the uh, late game, you know, stomach punches they're taking just doesn't seem, seem like they have enough there. Do you think Dave Martinez could be one and done? Uh, doesn't seem like it. I think there's just too many egos on the line. Like, you know, it, uh, given, you know, the, the, the flack they took for firing Dusty Baker and given how awkwardly that was handled, it seemed like the uh, whoever in in the front office was more responsible, whether it was Mike Rizzo or the ownership for you know, deciding on Martinez would we'll probably want to keep him for one more year than just admit that they made a massive mistake in the, in the last year of Bryce Harper. Yeah. I don't know what Bryce Harper 
is thinking at the moment as he heads into free agency, if the Nationals don't make the postseason, <laughs> I don't think he's sticking around in Washington. I think he's going to see if he can find a better opportunity to win a championship elsewhere. Well, he's mashing again. So, I mean, like his market value is pretty much back. Yeah, his market value is back. It's just it's not helping. Yeah. And he's incredibly competitive. It's just got to be very frustrating. I want to end the show on this. So we talked about the Braves and we talked about the A's. When watching these teams, and this kind of fuels into my optimism, the part of me that's the glass is half full, which typically I'm not that type of person. I think the glass is oftentimes half empty. But when you watch teams like the A's and the Braves have these out of nowhere breakout seasons, does this give you hope, Jim, that maybe something like this could happen for the White Sox soon? It does, uh, especially since the division is so weak. Um, I think, you know, put those things together and you do have the chance for something weird to happen. And I, you know, that's why I don't get uh, too wrapped up in draft position now. And I don't get too wrapped up in, I guess, service time concerns, especially since, you know, uh, you know, Jimenez, <laughs> Jimenez and Kobach could have made the opening day roster this season, given their talent and such. And I wouldn't have uh, betting that concerned about it, but you know, given that uh, they had time and guys to evaluate, and it would have been kind of insane to rush them that much. Yeah, they didn't make it, but you know, it seems like it would be year two of service time wrangling, and that seems kind of uh, uh, unsavory to me. So, um, if they called up, you know, Kopez, Kopek and Jimenez this month, then you know, I think that can you know get some reps out of the way, get some looks out of the way, let the league form a book on them faster so they can adjust faster. You'll get that whole process out of the way or, you know, whether, you know, a guy like Jimenez is bulletproof from that, great. Um, But either way, you figure it out faster and then you put yourself in a position to where if something weird happens, if the Indians slip up, if the Twins never put it together and, uh, you know, they don't, you know, they can't spend past their development shortages and, uh, you know, the Royals and Tigers are still trending downwards, then you have the opportunity for um, some wins where you didn't see them coming. So that's why I think the White Sox, you know, they shouldn't, you know, you know spend nuts on guys who aren't going to be good three years from now. I think, you know, everything should be thinking about 2020, 21, 22, but they shouldn't punt 2019. You know, they, they shouldn't bypass upgrades, you know, where they're available, you know, if it doesn't block anybody or cost them in the big picture. Yeah, because I don't think either team, I don't think either team's front office, Oakland and Atlanta, expected to be in the positions that they're in right now. Now, I think Oakland was projected for like 74 wins, if I remember correctly. They weren't projected to be terrible, but not a factor. What, but still finish, what, 20, 25 games behind Houston? Yeah, it might have been last place given the strength of the AL West. Right. And now they're a game and a half, two games back if Houston holds on against Colorado. Going into the weekend with the Astros coming into their place, and hopefully Oakland sells out that series, and it's a rocking crowd when that place is filled up. It'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. So if the White Sox Royals bore you this weekend, uh, you have your options. A very good series around Major League Baseball to watch that have big postseason implications as we're six weeks away 
from the season ending. But that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to all those that listen to the live stream on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. If you don't get an opportunity to listen to the live stream, no worries. We upload each recording into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. Jim and I will reconvene again on Monday Sox Machine podcast, in which our special guest for that show is Birmingham Barons outfielder, Alex Call. He'll be joining to share how 2018 has been going for him as he's really taken a step forward after his injury plaque 2017. And he also shares his insights on how he uses launch angle and exit velocity to help shape his batting stance and his approach at the plate. So if you want to hear from a player speaking to launch angle and exit velocity, then that interview is going to be for you. And again, that will be coming up this Monday. Socks Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.